Greetings from the Murder of Grey podcast. Where we look behind the curtain of our own minds. Alright, let's have some fun. Welcome to the Murder of Grey podcast, where each week we take a look at some moral and ethical dilemmas that we have found across time. Where we ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. As always, I'm Christian. And I am Chris. And welcome back, you guys. So we have a couple really interesting, crazy, fund up questions or not really questions, more dilemmas and issues that have uh, happened throughout time for you guys uh, to ponder on, uh, to hear us discuss. And uh, we would love to hear your takes on some of these questions too. Uh, Do not be afraid to reach out to us on social medias to let us know what you guys think about these questions, what you would do in these situations and all that fun stuff. We want to hear from you. Definitely trying to build a community here. So this one, this one that we're starting off with, is it's heavy, right? I mean, I feel like all these questions that we've been doing lately have been pretty damn heavy. They've been a lot, to say the least, especially after that yeah. last week's episode. So let me just ask you a question here. Have you ever been so hungry, like so hungry, that you feel like you would just eat anything? Yes. <laughs> Would you eat a horse? No, I'm just kidding. So, I have. Oh, really? You've eaten a horse? Yeah, when I was in Europe. Oh, shit. How was it? Actually really good. Huh, like, nice. really good, surprisingly. Huh. I mean, I feel bad because, I mean, fuck, all animals are cute, but I don't know. It is kind of weird looking back on it, but, dude, it was tasty. <laughs> Interesting. Kind of like I've ostrich. Always, I was always curious about that, you know, like... Because when we went to Spain, you would see some of the buildings with, like, the horse, like, mannequin outside. And that was, like, their way of saying, like, hey, we serve horse here. But Mm -hmm. I was just, I guess we, like, chickened out too much to even try it. But maybe you guys can guess or, you know, ascertain what we might be talking about here today. Uh, You know, we're going to be talking about cannibalism. Yay, it's the worst today. Cannibalism. But it's going to be a different kind of form of cannibalism. I mean, it's... There's an actual like legal term for this type of cannibalism, and it's called survival cannibalism. I know, really original name there, right? <laughs> but it's it's very specific and very important on how you distinguish what types of cannibalism are going on. Um, if you're just doing it because you know you're a crazy serial killer that wants to eat people, there's a problem. But if you are doing it for survival, then it becomes less of an issue and more kind of acceptable, which I find very interesting. Uh, but, you know, we've all seen the classic tropes on Looney Tunes, right? They're stranded on the boat or on a, you know, deserted island. And as they're looking at their fellow companion, they slowly morph into like a full chicken, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's just, it's a common trope. And it's, it actually has a lot of real world roots to it, which make it a little bit more terrifying, I would say. Because <laughs> I don't know, for me, the idea of just eating someone, even in a survival situation, like I'm sure I probably would end up getting to that point. But as of right now, like 
in the comfort of my home <laughs> where I have a fridge and food. I can't even think about the idea of eating someone or my friend or whoever it may be, right? Like it just, it seems like such a crazy idea. But th there's a couple instances that I do want to bring up when this, in this like study, this case study on survival cannibalism. But one of the most popular ones, of course, is the Donner Party. Uh, this happened in 1846 with a group of people who were trying to explore westward towards California. Uh, they were a group of settlers. They're traveling around or traveling through the country. And 89 out of the settlers ended up breaking off from the main group to try and take a short shortcut through the Sierra Nevada mountains. Now, during that time, they got hit with harsh weather, ended up getting stranded and lost, and they were facing starvation. Uh, they ended up losing or going through all their food and the whole group ended up turning to cannibalism in order to survive, which is pretty intense, yeah, I would say, especially when there's 89 people. Like, how do you make that decision, right? Like, are they yeah. drawing? Are they drawing straws? Is it the weakest one goes like in a group that size? That seems pretty intense, I would say. Like, it's just ooh, icky. <laughs> or do you think they do like Rochambeau? Like they're sitting there with like rock, paper, scissors. I feel like that's more plausible. Right. I I mean, as as fun as that sounds, I'm sure the work like the way it happened is probably fun. horrible. And it was <laughs> well, you know what I mean? Like well, as <laughs> silly as it sounds like to make it into like a game like that, I feel like the way it did happen was whoever was the biggest decided to eat whoever the hell they wanted at that time right they uh they start the the rock paper scissors with um whoever loses gets to eat tonight right <laughs> yeah that it's just make it all like <laughs> joyful it's like oh yeah i'd love to play and it's like no yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no sorry you're obviously too delusional to think straight so they yeah. like yeah it's just crazy to think about and think about like the other half of the party that ended up like taking the long way around but just made it right. <laughs> like they having to hear about it's like, hey, where did half of the people go? Right. It's like, oh, yeah, they decided to turn back around. Right. Like <laughs> it's <laughs> pretty nuts. But they ended up uh, staying alive for 70 days through cannibalism and traveling and through this Jesus. year in development. Yeah. So 70 days is a long time to have to deal with that. Like. A little over two months. So think about that for a little bit there. Did they say how many people got eaten? Um I do not see where no, not in this hmm. article at least. I would I'd be curious to see if, if there's like actual numbers attached to it, but yeah. Like it's it survival cannibalism does seem like pretty pretty insane to me that that's it becomes more of an acceptable idea when given the right circumstances right if they say that their resources are completely depleted then it's kind of okay to do so which i think is kind of nuts honestly um another one that was really interesting too about uh there was a yacht is 40 years later right so this is the donner party happened in 1846 and 40 years later um in 1880s there was a yacht that was actually sailing around from england to australia and they ended up becoming stranded in the atlantic ocean they remained adrift for two months 
as well. So there seems to be like a common thread between this two month thing. They like, didn't make must... it very far. Yeah. And they ended up, they, they were capturing like fish and turtles and things like that. But apparently at one point the food, their food supply was running low and they were having trouble catching any animals. They weren't able to sustain enough food for everybody that was on the yacht. And there was only four men during that time. Um, one of the men, one of the sailors, who was named Richard Parker, decided to drink some seawater out of desperation, which you can't blame him, though, right? Like, after being out there for so long, like, you just, you need water. So he ends up doing that, and he starts getting really sick. His health starts to decline, and the other three shipmates had to make a decision right then and there. They're running out of food. This man is going to die. But instead of letting him die slowly, they end up opting to kill him on the boat and then eat him. Now, that to me seems like the extreme version of survival cannibalism, right? Like, yeah. I, I, I kind of understand the idea of like if someone is dead already and you have no food and you have no choice, no nothing then maybe it's it's a plausible idea. But the fact that these people were still alive, right? And I'm sure it happened a lot in the Donner Party as well, where these people were alive during the time when the decision was actually made and they opted to kill someone who might have survived. Like this might, and like sure he was sick and his health was declining, but there's always that possibility of him bounce, bouncing back, right? Mm-hmm. And they opted to say no and they killed him and ate him in order to survive yeah it's kind of yeah it's it's a lot (laughs) what i'm wondering is like you know how because you can't really have a fire on a boat unless you have like a kitchen but this is like you know the old days so they just like eat it raw like I don't know. I'm like, well, they the must fuck? have because they didn't, they weren't able to boil off any seawater. That's, right? Ooh, God. So it had to have been done raw. That's even worse. Yeah. And, you know, this, the idea of survival cam- cannibalism happened a lot during the 19th century. And it actually became known as the custom of the sea, where in <laughs> general situations of shipwrecks and stuff like that, it just was a thing that happened. It just, you know, people had to survive somehow. Um, and a lot of these stories that end up popping up about survival cannibalism happened, you know, in the 1800s. They happened a long time ago. So we don't really think about it as much nowadays, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like I haven't heard that many cases of it. But there is one that was found in 1972. So that really wasn't that long ago. This is the 70s now, right? There is a group of 16 people, including members of the Uruguayan rugby team, that were in a plane. Uh, the plane ended up crashing in the Andes Mountains. And during their time waiting for someone to pick them up, they ended up eating the flesh of the people who died during the plane crash. So the survivors of the plane crash ended up eating the bodies of those who had passed away during the crash. And I think that's kind of like an important distinction there as well, right? They didn't opt out to actually kill anyone. But the bodies that were already there, they used them as resources. So I. That's more plausible. So it's. uh, I don't know how. Like, how do you feel about that? Like, do you think that you could, given the right circumstances, just straight eat somebody? 
Well, especially with that last situation, right? Because these people already died in the plane. I think it'd be a lot easier to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, it to me, like if they've already passed away, like what? You're just going to like bury it or let it sit there and maggots will get to it. And it almost is kind of like a disrespecting of the body. And I don't want to get all Hannibal on this. Like you got to treat human meat like a fine dinner kind of thing. But, you know, it's. It's a means for survival. Yeah, it's a means for survival. And at that point, like there really is nothing else. Like (laughs) you're going to starve just because your morals tell you I shouldn't do this because society taught me it was wrong. I mean, in a sense, like you're you're going to die if you don't eat. And you're not actually killing them. So, I mean, I feel like morally it's not as bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's still weird to, like, you know, eat someone's arm and stuff. You know, it'd just be kind of awkward. But, you know, comparing it to the sailors who the guy was sick, it's like that. that's where it gets a little weird, you know, like... Mm-hmm maybe wait till he actually died to do it. But I yeah. guess if you're that desperate on the water, you have to make that decision. But I don't know. It's just weird. Like you think you're sailing, you'd be able to find more fish or turtle or something to eat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you would hope so. Right. But I guess it be, it was so commonplace that it was just kind of understood that if there was like a wreck at sea, then you probably need to start eating people in order to, to survive. Like it just, it became pretty bad and unfortunate. And I guess like on old ships, they would, you know, practice drawing lots of straws as a method to decide who was killed and who survived. So like that was their way of getting around the moral issue and the guilt behind all of it. So it's, it's kind of crazy, but I yeah. mean like, this is survival cannibalism and there's like we mentioned there's a lot of different types of cannibalism out there which we could talk about for multiple episodes honestly we have you know the religious or rituals cannibalism um you know with like the mayans and the aztecs where they ate hearts of their enemies in order to get the strength of their enemies right like there's mm-hmm. there's that symbolism behind those ideas too which a lot of people now would say that's like savagery or whatever which they're ignorant in my opinion but that's besides the point <laughs> and sorry if i offended anybody but you know it's history it's something that it was it's, it's rituals so i mean it's so understandable like, for the time you know yeah. like endo cannibalism is like when you look at it as like absorbing the powers of others like mm-hmm. i mean back then it i mean it it could make sense back then you know you you take their powers and like a vampire yeah I but mean, everything was so connected spiritually it just made sense to them right like mm-hmm. you know if they they believe that they were grown from the crop grown from the land like uh, and they eat the food from the land right it just kind of everything kind of connected in that way but you know, that's a completely different conversation for another day, <laughs> but a really interesting one, none the least. Uh, but yeah, I don't know, man, like this survival cannibalism stuff is pretty terrifying to me. Like it kind of reminds me too of that one guy who got stuck under a rock while hiking and like he didn't, you know, cannibalize himself, like eat himself. But the fact that he like cut his own arm off with a pocket knife, like resorting to those like crazy extremes for survival are so like I would say interesting to study 
because you just don't know what the human mind is capable of until you reach a point like that, which is kind of terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. So could you eat your own arm if you were stranded? God, if I absolutely had, I don't know if I would, because I would constantly think that there was another alternative. Yeah. Right. Like I feel like my, the way I think at least I, I would always want to have a different alternative and then doing that, which just handicap me further and making survival even more difficult because how am I going to sure like I might have food to sustain myself for a little bit, but how am I going to properly treat that wound now? Mm, right. Good point. Like it, put it that, on a fire, solder yeah, it, cauterize it. Oh yeah. Cauterize not oh. solder. <laughs> solder. Yeah. I'm going to attach a motherboard to my arm. <laughs> it just, Oh gosh, it's such an intense, intense idea. Ooh. But speaking of food and eating, um, I have a fun little segment that we've done a few times. Um, it is Am I the Asshole, where we dig through the bowels of Reddit to find some of the greatest and most ridiculous posts that people put on there about or just asking the simple question of if they are the asshole or not in a given situation. Most of the time, yeah, I would say so. <laughs> But I have a good one for you that actually pertains to food. So I think that this might be kind of interesting. Yummy. So, so let's just jump right into it. So my, uh, my girlfriend made fajitas for dinner tonight, which Ooh. we usually eat straight from the pan at the table. How fun. <laughs> while, we, while we were eating on her second wrap, I lightheartedly asked if she was going to leave any chicken left because it looked like she was loading hers up. She put some back and left the table after and told me to never pass a comment on how much food she puts on her plate again and that she was only going to have two wraps. So what <laughs> so what she was going to have only added up to less than half of the filling she made as a whole. A while later, I asked if she was done with her shit <laughs> and she apparently wasn't. Then she packed up her stuff and asked if she could if she should call a taxi or if i could drop her home i Damn. told her just yeah i told her to stop overreacting and might have kept talking over her and over exaggerated the amount of chicken she was putting on her wrap and called her greedy <laughs> she stormed out of my house and told me she doesn't see a future with us anymore am i the asshole I should probably mention that she's been unhappy about her weight lately, and I still oh. think she's overreacting. Uh, so there's a little bit of an update, which I think is kind of funny. So a little update here. Um, I tried to apologize with McDonald's last night when she finished work, and she told me that I was <laughs> that was a fucked up way to, of apologizing, then refused to get in my car twice when I followed her. Now she won't speak to me. <laughs> Uh, so what do you say? Uh, is this guy the asshole or not? I mean, in the beginning, I was like, nah, that's not that bad. Because, I mean, look, like, you have dinner and you're just, like, curious. Like, are you going to leave any, you know? Because, you know, for leftovers, right? Like, innocent question. But then how this person just kept kind of, like, questioning it and making it sound like this person was eating too much of the dinner. It's like, bro, 
And like mm-hmm. continuing like towards the end of it, it's like, yeah, this person, this person does seem like an asshole. Like <laughs> at first I was like, oh, like I, I, I mean, I won't say it, but I'm like, dude, like I want, I want some food left over for me because I'm a, I love to eat, right. you know, but I'm not going to judge someone for eating too much. No, you guys are sharing from a pan. Like who cares? Right. Like that's why you got to get in there first. Scoop it all yeah. out. And then the whole, so my favorite part about this and why I 100% think this this guy was an asshole and I think this conversation went horribly um, is the fact that he made this post, which means that he was able to actually like dissect the issue a little bit, calm Mm -hmm. down. And in the third paragraph or whatever, where he says, a while later, I asked if she was done with her shit. (laughs) She apparently wasn't. Like (laughs) the fact that he still was calling it like, her shit like her problem her right like the fact that he wasn't able to realize like oh maybe i went too far you know like yeah this guy's a complete asshole and if she's having issues with her weight like and then you go to apologize by giving her mcdonald's like after (laughs) having an argument about eating too much it's like this no man (laughs) it's like you need to reevaluate how you handle these things like, at least pick something classy. Like, and McDonald's is, like, the worst food for that kind of situation. Yeah. And she made the food. She's the one that made him the food. And she does it every week. Like, she does this loving thing for him every week. And she and he just shit on it like that. <sighs> yeah. No. 100%. This guy is an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's any way around that at all. Like this guy's just straight up dick. <laughs> Guaranteed. Yeah, that's ridiculous. All right, so diving into our last little or, or other question or concept, I would say. Um, Got this got this doctor I was reading about. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of him. Mr. Doctor Mr. Doctor. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. D- Mr. Doctor Doctor. Yeah, Mr. Doctor Doctor. Uh Dr. Jack Kevorkian. Have you heard of this guy before? Uh yes, I have, but please uh <sighs> describe for the audience. Ah, uh, for for those of you who don't know who Kevorkian is, he was a medical doctor, um, and he was made most famous for his assisted suicides. Um, he was really uh, he was really determined on saying that death is not a crime and taking your own life when you want to uh, should be your choice completely. And he actually did help people out with that dilemma, right? Um, there's a lot going on here where it could be someone that, it, mainly it was the patients who were not going to survive and they had a very short time to left with us on this world and they wanted to just end the suffering and the pain at that given time um so he found ways to euthanize them uh with with no pain right like it's not like he just straight up killed people so there is some like semblance of what's the sympathy i guess right or empathy towards the patient here Mm -hmm. like he seemed like he was actually trying to assist the patients the best way that he knew how and if they were going to just let's say they had like a week left of diagnosis 
and it was just going to be pain and suffering or they were going to be, you know, put into a forced coma or something until they end up ultimately passing away. Uh, he gave them an alternative where they could take control over their life again in a situation in which that they felt that they had no control over it. So he started doing this in the 1990s, uh, pretty early on there. And he ended up getting, so during the time between the 1990s and around 1999, he ended up helping out or he ended up assisting 130 patients uh, ending their lives. And then after in 1999, he actually got um, sentenced to 25 years in maximum security prison for his actions. Now, looking at it in today's eyes, we've heard about assisted suicides. We've, uh, I'm sure a lot of people are aware of that situation or what or that possibility and there are certain states quite a few actually out there um actually california where we are is currently one of them where it is legal for doctors to perform assisted suicides which in 1999 it wasn't so dr Vorkian kind of paved the way for this idea before it was actually more it was like i i'm having a hard time saying morally acceptable because it's still not fully morally acceptable but like you know, like kind of socially acceptable to a certain extent, right? Mm -hmm. So I guess it's kind of like a tough way of putting it. Now, I have a few issues with the idea of the assisted suicide, um, but I'm curious to hear your your take on it first before I dive in. I, I think it's weird because like I read a little bit about it and there's been reports saying that a a good chunk of the people that you know asked for the assisted suicide was they didn't have like a terminal illness it was just an illness that was worsening mm. or some of them like presumably like just had really bad depression yeah and you know for me like someone that has a terminal illness yes you know like i mean it makes sense you know, you yeah. don't want to suffer anymore. It, it totally makes sense. I mean, regards to everything else, though, it's at least it'd be a controlled setting, I guess you could say. You know, it's not like someone's going to take it in their own means and possibly harm someone else or, you know, it make it make it a more, fuck, I don't know how to say it, I guess professional way in mm. a morbid kind of outlook but <sighs> yeah it's hard not to talk about it and not sound morbid <laughs> yeah because it, yeah. it makes sense for someone that's like you know on life support completely but mm. when it's someone that's not it really comes into like you know there is a chance for you to kind of like you know turn your life around or you know, try different ways to get better. But with the way this system is where hospitals are so expensive, I mean, sometimes there just doesn't feel like there's an option. Yeah, I agree. So the way I look at this, I feel like for the terminally Ill, terminally Ill patients, the ones who know that for a fact that there is no, there's no coming out of this, right? 
and they're going to be left with just some sort of suffering, whether it be mental anguish or physical anguish until the last breath, right? Like, I feel like at that point, then that conversation should be had, right? Um, with the cases where it was someone who's suffering from some sort of depression or mental illness, then that's a problem, right? Like, I feel like at that point, this conversation should never be had. They're not in a position to have that conversation because they're not basically staring death in the face, right? They're, mm -hmm. they're going through a completely different scenario where they can actually get help for it, their, their situation. Um, like, imagine, like, I, I know that, I mean, I was severely depressed as it when in my teen years, and I did end up trying to take my life a couple times. You know, I'm, I'm not ashamed to say that. Um, I'm sharing it with the world right now, and I barely ever talk about it to people around me. But, <laughs> but the thing is that, like, it, if that option was given to me when I was younger, I don't know what I would have done, and I'm afraid that I would have made a stupid decision at that point, right? Um, there's also there's a documentary called The Bridge. Have you heard of that or seen that? I have not. So the bridge is really interesting. It's about uh, people who jump off bridges to end their lives. And they're like some of the really famous ones, like the Golden Gate Bridge and all that stuff, right? And they ended up talking to some of the survivors, uh, people who did try to take their life and jump off the bridges. And most of them, actually almost all of them, said that before they hit the water, they changed their mind. They realized that this is not the way that they wanted to go. This is not how they wanted things to end. And they are grateful to be given a second chance. And now, not saying that like everybody who ends up trying to take their life is, you know, re regrets it at the last minute and wishes they can change their, you know, change their situation. But most of the time, these acts are cries for help. They feel like they don't have anyone to talk to or to listen to them. So they're performing these acts to, you know, reach out to somebody to basically just to plead for someone to pay attention, to see what they're going through, to see how far their anguish is gone. So having the option of an assisted medical suicide sounds outrageous to me. Like, and maybe I'm biased or maybe I'm being a little too harsh on the idea, but I think that is definitely not a conversation that should be had at that time. Yeah, I, no. It's interesting looking at like his response to when it became, uh, you know, legal, like in Oregon, like the first three states, uh, he was interviewed and they were saying, well, he was he was objecting to it right which is weird because you know that that's what he does and he said like what's the difference does it make if someone is terminal we're all terminal and in his view as long as the patient was suffering you know that was his means to to do it hmm. and he says that he's turned down some people's requests because they needed more treatment or medical records had to be checked but you know, at the end of the day, yeah, it's like when it comes to a situation where they might be able to change things, like maybe instead of doing it, like offer them a source to get help, you right. know? I I don't like that argument, the whole like everyone's terminal, right? Like, I mean, from the moment you're born, you're dying. So that just, that's not an argument. That's in my opinion, 
right? Like that's that's just an excuse or a justification of his actions. I also found it weird he named his two devices. Oh, what were the names? So the device that was the like the IV was the Thanatron and the gas mask was the Mercitron. It's just kind of weird that you would name your like They sound like Transformers. Like I know. <laughs> Mercitron. <laughs> it's like or like a weird Digimon of evolution, right? Like, yeah. Like it just it seems very like almost unprofessional in a sense, I guess yeah. you could say. Like he's making it lighthearted in a difficult situation. And I guess that could be like gallows humor, right? I mean, that is something that people do do towards a certain extent, uh, especially whenever they're that close to the edge. Like gallows humor is a real thing. Like they try and make the situation more lighthearted so that they can mentally cope with it. But in his profession, I feel like he, it, especially with what he's doing, like he's the last one to be making jokes about it. And those names sound like jokes. Like... Like, that's pretty bad. I mean, another thing you have to think about, right, is if it was allowed for just anybody, it, you know, it could be used in a wrong way, Mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, say someone has, like, a really bad illness or something, they could just be, like, recommended that, you know? Like, if this was, like, fully, like, authorized and legal everywhere, like, what's the possibility that, that would be a recommendation instead mm. of, you know, further treatment. Like if the patient asks for their options, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, well, you can go through this surgery. There's this diet you can do, or you can, you know, just have me kill you real quick. And then you don't have to worry about it. It's like, wait, what? Yeah. Like it's just something odd to think about, yeah. really. So I have a alternative view on this to ask you. I'm curious because I just thought about it right now. So what is the difference between this, like a a patient saying, I want you, you know, I want you to take my life or a family making that decision to pull the plug for a a family member or a loved one that happens to be unconscious or incapable of making their own decisions at that time? I mean, it should always be up to the person that, you know, would be leaving. But when it comes to, like, the family pulling the plug, I mean, there's a lot of different things that, you know, justifications, I guess you could say. I mean, like I said before, with hospital bills and putting the family in debt, you know, a lot of patients kind of before this kind of situation happens, you know, a lot of people write that out and, like, their life insurance or their will like don't keep me on life support right and i mean if it would get to that point you know of pulling the plug i mean it it is to me justified because right. that's their wishes you know i mean a lot of times when people are on life support like that there really is maybe like a 10 percent chance of getting better but i mean at the same time they're probably suffering there even if they can't show it or say it it's they're still there hurting yeah and i'd rather have them be in peace than sit there suffering yeah like i would want to make sure all my options have been used obviously but if it comes to the point where there's like nothing you can do then 
you know, I don't want them hurting. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, it's a tough situation to be in, right? Like when you're making that ultimate choice for people. It, like what what about on the flip side too? Like going back to the practice that Kevorkian was going into, like a lot of these patients who are on a lot of different medications for these terminal illnesses, they might not be of their right mind, right? Like uh, especially like let's say they're mm. going through cancer. Um, there a lot of the chemo treatments or the medications that they might be taking actually warn of like schizophrenic behaviors or things like that. So like. Oh, how much of that should play into the decision making when accepting um, someone wanting this assisted suicide? Ooh, good question. Because hmm. that stuff at that point, like they're not in their right mind, right? Right. Like, like th that's a completely different. I mean, it could be a completely different person that you're dealing with at that point than you were when you first started treatment for them. So, like. When does it become, like, at what point are you still, I guess, like, there enough or, like, mentally capable enough to make that decision for yourself, is my question. I mean, I guess it could be also looked at as, like, Alzheimer's kind of stuff. But, right. um, yeah, true. I mean, going back to the family, if the family's still around, then, you know, it would go through them. But if it's just the patient themselves, I mean because they can't really lower the dosage to try to get them coherent again. Yeah. Because that would be immoral too, right? Like you're you're promoting potential suffering or the 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 damages to their mental capacity could be permanent or irreversible at that time. Which would be unfortunate and a whole nother issue to go into as well, but it's possible, right? Yeah. Damn, Especially, that's kind of tough. Yeah. I've been thinking about that a lot, you know, for personal reasons, but it's it's kind of scary thought right there, right? Like, at what point do you start not becoming you anymore? Like, at what point can you make those decisions for yourself? And when can, the like, the family members jump in and take control of those decisions for you, right? Like, it, I guess it's the same concept, too, of, like, opting out of a surgery. Because, like, if you're going through something, you could just say, no, I don't want the surgery, I don't want treatment anymore, and just stop. And then slowly pass away that way as well, right? Like, that's the same concept, but now you're doing it without the potential comfort of painkillers or medical monitoring, right? Like, it's you're, you now have to deal with the suffering on your own accord. And if it's a lot of pain which hopefully it's not like then you have to physically deal with that on your own and be able to handle that which is a lot right like that so i i don't know the, the this whole concept here is it i can see both sides right like it, i could see where it could be slightly beneficial but i'm having a hard time with it because it just them people being able to make the right decision at that time instead of just kind of having a, like a low moment and giving up, right? Like, I don't know. It's tough. Yeah, it's honestly really tricky because like when I first heard about all this, like I thought it was totally different. But after doing some research on like his methods and stuff, I was like, oh, this is a little different than I thought, you know, and then some of the things you brought up, I didn't even think about, 
And now it's like, oh, this is a little deeper than what I thought, you know, like someone not being able to think right. Like Mm -hmm. that really does bring in like, it's not only morally awkward for them, but the person administrating it, you know, it's just, oh, there's so many sides to this. Yeah, there's too many variables. And I don't think that there is a right answer. That's that's the thing. Like this is this is probably one of the first I would say like real world scenario questions. You know, cuz like the hypothetical questions that we've been dealing with in the past, there are certain ones that just don't have an answer, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's just, there's just no good way of getting through this problem. But I feel like this is the first real world situation that we're discussing that does not have an answer in my opinion right like it just there is no right way of making this decision and there's never going to be a clean way and there's never going to be a way in which everyone is content and happy with whatever decision is made like it it's just it's one of those issues that I don't know, maybe maybe later on someone can describe it differently and, you know, we can figure out better ways of determining if someone is in their right mind to make decisions like this or, you know, like if it really is an illness that is completely unavoidable, then, you know, maybe, but it's just, yeah. Like I would say probably for like the subsection of this question of like the people who are just depressed, definitely not a conversation for them to be having, in my opinion. But for the ones who are like actually terminally ill, there's so many other variables that are in play. Like, yes, they will be passing away, but maybe there's that chance of them turning around, right? They might have a few more years, like six months can turn into a couple years real fast, Um, especially in the medical field. And I've heard multiple stories where people are told they have like two months left to live and they end up living another 10 years, right? Like it's... That's a, it's a lot to weigh and a lot to think about when making these kind of choices, not just for the patient, but for the families, as well as the doctor administering the procedure. So, yeah. His artwork's really interesting. Oh, he's an artist too? Of course he is. Yeah, apparently he did music and stuff, but his art is kind of fascinating. It's very macabre. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. it's just fitting for him, like. One of his pieces is a child eating the flesh of a decomposing corpse. Like, okay, it, his art's very dark, which also makes this topic even more interesting to a point. So, like, where's his mental? Like, where was his reasoning then? Right? Like, if that, because like when you're making art, like your subconscious is peeking through. So, like, if he already has that kind of a dark view on the world, and I'm not bashing, like, dark art or macabre art at all, because it can be beautiful and fascinating and amazing works, too, right? Yeah. Like, I love macabre art. Yeah, there's so many good pieces out there. I can't remember the name of one of them, but the the famous one, uh, was it Gauguin? I think it's Gauguin. Uh, where it's like the the crazed man eating another person, right? And, oh yeah, yeah. And it's a beautiful painting, and the way it was like done is amazing. And that artist is just phenomenal. Goya, that's, who it Goya. Is. that's what it is. Yeah, like um, amazing stuff. Like definitely look up Goya's work because his sketches, like you can really feel him behind each one of his brushstrokes and line strokes. But he, like, that's another thing to think about too, is the fact that like where was his mindset. 
right? Whenever he was making the decision to do this, like not just the fact that he named his instruments with these kind of silly names, but then now finding out that he was, you know, a macabre artist too. Like he has, I guess you could say like, you can look at it in two different ways, right? Being fascinated by death can lead him to make those kind of brash decisions to give this as an option so freely but then also it could lead him to have a better understanding and acceptance of death than others who would shy away from the that kind of artwork so i don't know that's interesting that's cool to know i am actually happy that i know that now yeah, that's kind of cool i yeah. i didn't realize one of his artwork was uh used on an album of a band that i used to listen to in high school and i was like oh i've seen that before and looking at his other stuff yeah it's very interesting hmm. it's kind of fun you never know huh everybody yeah. has a different side to them <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting stuff but i think that's gonna do it for us this week um yeah We've talked about some pretty harsh topics this time, <laughs> like always. You know, we discussed our cannibalism talk topics with the survival cannibalism, and I have a feeling that we're going to be talking about cannibalism much more in the future. The different types of it, because there are different types, the ones that are more acceptable and the ones that are way less acceptable and get you thrown in prison real damn fast. Um, and then talking about assisted suicides and whenever they can be used properly uh, but properly by our terms. We're not professionals. This is just our opinions, and that's really it. But anyway, we hope you guys have been enjoying this conversation, and I hope you guys have enjoyed the conversations from the past and the ones that will be coming in the future as well because we're not going anywhere. Uh, but if you do like what we're hearing, be sure to share it with a friend, please, because that is the best way for a show to get out there and continue to grow, especially a small new show like ours right now. Um, and if you do have time, we'd really appreciate it if you can leave a five-star rating and review on the podcatcher of your choice because that definitely does help out our show a lot as well but you know with that we'll be, we'll be talking to you guys next week with another fun and interesting topic and if you do have any questions or dilemmas that you want us to tackle be sure to send them our way we'll be more than happy to hear out all of your guys's requests anyway we'll talk to you guys next week y'all have fun out there bye 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 <laughs>